What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. This week, we're talking about a super juicy subject, money. I've got Hillary Hendershot on the show with me today to talk all about money mindset, which I know is an issue that so many of you are thinking about and trying to improve in your own lives and businesses. Hillary and I are talking about lots of sensitive topics like, are you really comfortable charging for your work? Are you spending all of your money or are you saving for the future? Do you truly believe you can build a thriving and profitable business? We're going to work on uncovering your negative beliefs about money and taking control of your financial future. So I think you're really going to enjoy this week's episode because honestly, as an entrepreneur, money is just one of those things that, you know, it comes up all the time. Whether you're making it or you're not making it, you've got lots of it and you don't know what to do with it. You don't have enough and you're freaking out. Money, money, money is a key part of our business. And that's what we're talking about this week. Now, I recorded this interview with Hillary in a really weird way. I was in Las Vegas for a conference, couldn't get on Wi-Fi, and had to use my phone, so we had to kind of hook up some way to do this recording, and it was a little bit weird. So I apologize if the audio quality isn't up to my usual standard, but the content of what we talked about was so good, I still wanted to run it anyway. So forgive me the audio quality, but I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Hillary Hendershot. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for joining me on the show today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We have a super juicy topic to discuss today, which is money. And I thought you were the perfect person to come on and talk about this because I know so many of the wellpreneurs listening have really mixed feelings about money and, and might feel a bit guilty about money or might feel really stressed out about money or lack thereof. So I'm really excited for you to just Talk us into a happy place. Yeah. <laughs> Money is kind of the last frontier, right? We're, as women, we're taking strides. And I know there are people that aren't aren't women listening to your podcast, but as women, we're taking strides kind of in every area of life. But I feel like money is this glaring subject where we're just not even dealing with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Because I think, especially in this audience where entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs and everyone's so focused on their business, you know, just like growing that. And I think forget a bit about paying ourselves or like planning for the future or just like thinking about, you know, our money life in general. So let's start off with something super basic, but I think you have an interesting take on it. What is money? <laughs> I think it's really great that you would start with a question like that because foundationally, we enter into the conversation about money with so much history and so many preconceived notions and so many stereotypes and superstitions that come from our past and from society, especially in the community of people who are benevolent and generous and want to do well and serve people. It can feel like 
wanting money or having money as a goal or a desired end is is greedy. And the truth is money comes to us from it really was a this a solution for what economists call the problem of the double coincidence of wants. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it used to be that if I wanted to barter you with barter with you, let's say you had apples and I had chickens and I wanted apples in order for me to get apples from you you had to want my chickens. And that seems like a silly example, but that really is like how people started bartering, right? Like gold for silk and food and things like this. And so long ago, human beings said, well, why don't we come up with a universal medium? And money was that thing. And so it really is just a tool. It's really very conceptual. Like currency isn't actually money. Your, you know, money doesn't exist inside your credit cards. There's no actual money in your bank account. That's just data, like bits and bytes. So money, it, it doesn't actually exist in a tangible reality. It's not greedy or selfish or, and it, and it's not, it's not scarce. Like money, wealth is infinite. They're not, going to stop making money. Money keeps getting produced. And so it's not, it's not a zero sum game either. So I define money as literally a promise defined in measurable units that you can exchange later for things that you want. And that's all that money is. And it literally is a blank canvas and you can use, I mean, certainly there are, there are people who have used money to do evil and there are evil people who, who get a lot of money, right? But there's also, you can also use money to do a lot of good. And money is something in, in society, the way it's constructed now, I mean, like maybe we'll live a different way in the future, but right now money is necessary. It's as necessary for you as food and nourishment and shelter and clothing because you can't do anything without it. Certainly, there are ways you can barter for things or have resources in your life that don't require you paying for them. But but for a lot of things, we just have to have money. So I think it's great that you would start with a question like that. And I like to just remove all the significance from money. It doesn't have any meaning. <laughs> yeah, so you say that, and I love that idea, like that it's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. But in reality... I mean, the real experience that so many of us have is we get super hung up on money mm-hmm. and there's guilt around it and stress around it. And I know, I think for a lot of people listening, and I know I still struggle with this too, is like you wrap up your definition of success or self-worth in how much money you have, which is ridiculous because we know intellectually that there's so much more to success in life than that. But I think it, what is it? It's a cultural thing, I guess. It definitely is a cultural thing. And we, as human beings, we get together and we create mutual agreement reality. So when lots of human beings agree about a particular thing, then we just accept that it's true. And there definitely is a a widely held mutual agreement reality that your value as a human being or your success as an entrepreneur is measured in by the money that you have. And, you know, I can't even say that I'm completely divorced from that meaning. I certainly, you know, when I think about my business, I love the idea of growing. And yeah, the more money I have, the more people I've served and I've set some big goals about how many people I want to empower financially. But you know, I can fall victim to the more, more, more mindset myself. And there's nothing really wrong with it, except if you measure yourself on any yardstick and you come up short, then you're going to have some dissatisfaction about that. So it's a trick for us as human beings to really find peace and 
a very intimate relationship with what's so as far as, you know, what are your current numbers? And a lot of people, now that I've said that, it can also lead to, you know, kind of ostrich syndrome. So if you are really suffering about how much there is or isn't, then that can lead you to not really look. And that has its own problems. <laughs> it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I find that it's not a good thing to be so hung up on money that you just feel like a failure if you don't hit a certain number. But at the same time, and I see this a lot with wellpreneurs because they're so focused on healing and helping and just wanting to do what they love that they do that ostrich thing. Like they just ignore the money altogether or don't want to like charge just peanuts for their services and are broke and they're just ignoring it. So it's like either extreme is not good. Yes. And, and there are a number of destructive beliefs that lead to ostrich syndrome. You know, one that might be rampant in your community is like, I'm not good with numbers. Like, I'm just not good at math. I'm not a numbers person. I mean, excellent personal financial management is really just addition and subtraction. I mean, there's some multiplication, but <laughs> it's pretty straightforward as it regards how much is coming in, how much is going out, what is the amount of my monthly overhead. I think that is a belief or a conclusion that some people really have to get over or empower themselves around to take charge of their money. Certainly if you if you believe you're not good with money or not good with numbers and you empower that belief in your life, you're going to struggle when it comes to money. Well, something that really surprised me is I've had several clients that are quite successful actually tell me that when I've asked about their numbers, they just said, oh, my husband handles that. And that actually floored me because, I mean, here we are, 2017, these are all women running their own businesses. And yet, they don't deal at all with the financial side of their business. And I just, I mean, to me, this is, even if you feel like, you know, you're not good with numbers, you could have someone else do them, but you need to know them as the CEO, right? One of my first interviews on my own podcast, which is called Profit Boss Radio, I interviewed Kim Raluna, who had this million dollar launch. And she's a really eccentric personality. She's just really, I mean, she's young, but she's super confident about where she's heading. And she said that on my podcast. She said, look, my husband handles the money. And, you know, I didn't want to argue with her about it. I certainly wasn't in a She didn't ask me my opinion, right? But it's like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. There's a difference between uh, delegating as a CEO and kind of being in the dark about mm -hmm. something. So, you know, I teach business owners when it comes to money, like if there are like five or six numbers in your business that if you know those numbers, I consider you to be responsible financially. If you don't want to manage, you don't want to be your own CFO, I get it. But you need to know last year's revenue. You need to know, you know, year to date revenue. You need to know what your monthly overhead is, how much you're paying certain you know, vendors and employees. And it's great if you have campaigns or you do launches or if you have different product lines, you need to know each product line's profitability. So it costs me this much to make X product or to provide X service and I make this much. Therefore, each time I sell it, I make this amount. So you don't have to be the person who sorts through pages and pages of transactions and categorizes them and know how much you're spending in every single category on QuickBooks. So, you know, maybe that gives folks some clarity, but yeah, yeah it, it pains me when I hear people say, oh, my husband handles it. And let me, not to diatribe on this topic, but look, if you aren't aware of the numbers in your personal financial life, 
This is what happens when people have these horrible things happen to them, like God forbid something terrible happens to your husband or your partner and you are left holding the bag. You don't, I've met women who don't even know where the accounts are, have no idea, you know, how they're titled, like their name isn't even on the account, so they can't get to the money. And, you know, and it can really compound what is already kind of a painful situation and make it just so much worse. So I just got like a little shiver when you said that. I know it's so much beyond business. I mean, that's like just a light. You're right. It's a personal financial thing, like just planning for the future and to be able to take care of yourself. You need to be aware of. um, I never want to be the doomsayer. And I'm always, I always want to be really delicate when I bring that subject up, but I've seen it happen to so many women who call me and say, Mm -hmm. you know, something just happened. And now here I am, I have no idea what to do. And it just brings people to their knees. Wow. Well, so there's a public service announcement. <laughs> yeah. Sit down with your spouse or partner or, or financial planner and make sure you understand. Please, um, at least, yeah, money. at least know, you know, the high level numbers and where the money is. So let's shift gears. And I want to talk about one of some of our favorite topics, which is money mindset mm. and specifically how that relates to business. Because something that I see a lot is undercharging and feeling guilty about charging money, like charging a, a, you know, a really, a a reasonable rate Uh for people's products and services. So yeah, can you kind of talk to us about, about that? Sure. So let's start from the big picture. Like I said earlier, money is really conceptual and how I came upon this distinction that I'll talk about called the money operating system. I created that term and I, I trademarked it. It's like, you know, you, you have an operating system as it regards money, just like your computer has an operating system that informs everything about how the computer deals with, you know, peripherals and applications and software and like that. You have a money operating system that informs everything about how you deal with money. And it's a strongly held belief. You actually think that it's true until you've looked at it and distinguished it as an operating system or a superstition. But it's not true because you remember earlier we said there's really nothing that's true about money. So some of these popular money operating systems are core beliefs. Look at what is your core belief kind of from childhood. I think it's really popular to say now, you know, what's your first money experience as a child? And we we sort of romance this idea that we had this formative experience and that that now is who you are about money. But it's not true. It's just a belief that you picked up. And if it doesn't work for you, you can change it. So some of those money operating systems are there's never enough money. Another one is there's always enough money money is the root of all evil or money is bad. Money is, gives me power or measures my success. And we've, we've talked about that one. My husband has uh, money is no problem. <laughs> I've met people with money is complicated. And those folks tend to have a lot of drama in their life about money. Like there's a lot of family issues about money. Maybe there's there's lying or untruths about money. There's gossip. There's making loans. There's You see how that can really bring complexity in the area of money. But they're going to con- continue to do those behaviors because that aligns with their belief about money. So for myself, there's never enough money. And that's a really popular one. And if you have the money operating system, there's never enough money. You're either going to be an overspender or an under earner. And I was an overspender. So when money came into my pocket, it just absolutely burned a hole. And it truly, the only thing for me to do with money was spend it. And I I spent it so that people would think I was rich. I spent it to make myself comfortable. I spent it on clothes and trips and dinners and drinks and vacations. 
and never saved. I, I would always tell myself, well, I'll save when I make more. And this really brought me to a financial rock bottom, uh, kind of around the time of the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. I had, you know, I had this BMW on lease. I bought this condo for 5% down that I never should have bought. And so I really had to stop everything, stop the action and consider everything I was doing around money and put it all back together. I, I paid off all the debt and rebuilt my retirement savings. And that's when I started teaching about this stuff because in the, the time that it took me to put everything back, to take everything apart and put it back together, I really learned a lot about money psychology and neuropsychology. So that's how I come upon all this knowledge. And then let's speak to the under earners, which is who you were talking about. So first of all, all of the beliefs like I feel bad for charging money or I should be able to do this for free or, you know, this person can't afford me and so I, I should charge them less. That comes up a lot, assuming that that we already know how much the other person can pay. I know. I know. It's so terrible. We all think we work for the psychic network. Um, <laughs> it all comes from this core money belief that there's never enough money. and where there is to go to work is not on the surface. Often with things like money and things that are conceptual, our relationship to ourself and time and food, we often need to really deal with the root instead of the weed. And so the root of it is this money operating system that there's never enough money. And you're going to have lots of beliefs that align with there's never enough money. So you're going to not want to charge. You're going to be afraid to ask for money. You're going to probably hate the experience of sales. You're going to say things like, oh, I don't need to be rich. I just want a simple life. Or rich people are have to spend all their time managing their money and not doing the important things in life. You kind of get where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. But it's this network of beliefs. The truth is that the money you charge, first of all, money is a renewable resource. So it's not like you're taking something from someone, right? But the truth is that money in your business is a measure of how much value you've provided. So in any financial transaction, it's true by definition that the buyer pays less than the value they receive. So for example, if something was char if was priced at $10,000, you would know, is that worth $10,000 to me or is it not? And if it wasn't, you wouldn't buy it, right? So we know by definition that if someone pays you $10,000, that what you provided for them was worth more than that. So they, they traded $10,000 and got more than $10,000 worth of value. And that's the nature of wealth building inside a free exchange. And that really is the beautiful thing about specialization and, and delegation and why commerce is such a great thing. And, you know, that's why the farmer specializes in making food and I specialize in financial services and the coach specializes in empowerment and we all do what we're great at and then we trade and increase the amount of value that we have in the world in, in life and in, in in the world. And so I really invite people to start by disassembling those core beliefs and saying, you know, you at some point in your past came up with this belief that there's never enough money. And you have the opportunity to go create examples in your life of, hey, there's always enough money. Like wealth is infinite. You are truly in a, in a false scarcity conversation if that's what you think about money. And so sometimes just engaging in these conversations with people can really help and taking a look at what are the practices that are happening in your life and in your business that are not serving you. 
And a way you can surmount a scarcity conversation in your business instead of being in a conversation called, I don't want to sell and I don't want, I don't want to charge. Hey, how about you take on the inquiry? How can I grow my revenues by 25%? If I'm making $4,000 a month, how can I make $5,000 a month? And while that doesn't necessarily address the I hate sales conversation directly, I'm a huge fan of the concept of, of distraction, right? Like instead of, instead of trying to take something apart or directly contradicting, taking a baseball bat to it, let's just go in a different direction and set our brains at work because your brain is this powerful question answerer. And so you have to be careful what questions you ask yourself because your brain wants to answer them. But if you ask yourself the right questions, you can really set that, that your most powerful resource to work in your own interest. You have some needs as a family or as an individual to your relationship. You have to pay for the place you live. You have to pay for your transportation, your vacations, your, your clothing, right? So you have needs and you deserve to have those needs fulfilled. And so I think I'm, I'm kind of maybe going off a little bit here, but I feel really passionately about that people can set themselves free from this idea that money is a zero-sum game. I like this idea of like redirecting your mind a bit to, to ask a more empowering question. So rather than focusing, like basically what you're saying is rather than focusing on the, there's not enough, oh my gosh, I can't charge that much. How much am I going to charge? I hear this a lot. People spend so much time stressing out about how much to charge rather than just going out and trying to find clients and just like try a price. And then if it's not enough, you can raise it the next time. You know, people get really hung up on trying to find the perfect price. Mm -hmm. So you're basically saying, instead of doing all that, just change it to a more empowering question of like, well, how can I make 20% more? Mm -hmm. What would it take to make 25% more? Mm -hmm. I love that. Do you ever do anything with like energetic ways to clear limiting beliefs like that? Like I've heard people do like kinesiology or do EFT or do journaling and different types of things. Do you ever recommend any of that? There's a reframing technique that I have used. You know, really I'm a numbers girl at heart. And I think some of those things aren't necessarily my expression. And I think you should try whatever works for you. For me, I like the power of conversation. I love when people get a wealth mastermind And I really think, you know, if we sat around four or five of us with a glass of wine and really took this idea apart, that that could be transformative. But I certainly have heard people use some of those uh, energetic techniques. It's just not, it's not up my alley. Yeah, you got to do, yeah, you got to do what works for you. So I think, like you said, there's a lot of paths to get to the goal. I was curious, like, what else you do? I love the idea of a wealth mastermind. Yeah. And really talking about it, because we don't talk about money very much either. It's like, totally taboo. Oh my God. We're more likely to talk about giving birth or having sex than we are to talk about money. And I almost think that it's sort of this entrenched, and I wrote an article, I published an article once, I forget the title, but basically it's like not talking about money and being disempowered about money is self-inflicted misogyny. (laughs) It's like, you know, we have to just crack this open because Money in many ways is freedom, is power, is resources, is capability. And to keep it from ourselves and to pretend like it's taboo or private, it's just not serving us anymore. What about on the personal side? Like I see a lot of wealth earners, and actually I was going to say starting out, but actually all levels of business who like don't pay themselves Mm -hmm. or don't save for retirement. 
and just like just are so focused on the business they're like ignoring their personal financial side so what it what should we be like can you give us just some pointers or guidelines about like what are the basic things we should really be looking at on the personal side yeah to address this very subject i used to say you know you have to pay yourself you have to pay yourself and the truth is it takes capital to start any business. Some business owners are, you know, start the kind of businesses that investors or VCs are interested in funding, but most of us don't. So you're going to have to use some slack resources in the first couple of months or years. And that ramp up timeline is really customized to your business. So it's impossible to say how long exactly it should be, but somewhere between two and six years, really. And that's not to say you have to live on credit cards for two to six years, but you can get to a stasis point where you're just covering your overhead. But then after that, you really should be focused on paying yourself a lot of money. And just to give people kind of uh, somewhere to think from, I think that if you can't make six figures in your business per of personal income, you know, gosh, you could just forego the heartache, right? And go get a job. <laughs> I mean, so I, just as a, a place to start, hey, let's think about what would it take to get you to six figures of income? And, and that's um, not revenue, just to clarify that. That's like income in your pocket. Th- exactly, exactly. I mean, Profit. revenue is, in many ways, revenue is an irrelevant number. I mean, if I make a million dollars of revenue, but I spend 1.1 or, or I pay myself nothing, what's the point? I've given my life and produced no personal value. And that's the thing I think people don't really realize is you can have a lot of money in your business bank accounts, but if you don't take it out and put it in your personal accounts, it doesn't actually belong to you and it can go away, right? And because a lot of what we do as entrepreneurs and CEOs of our own businesses is a tax deduction in the US. I don't know about the tax structure in other countries, but for example, you might pay for your computer and some of your travel on, you know, from business accounts and that's all fine and well and good, but ultimately you need to be taking money out of your business accounts and putting it in your personal accounts. Energetically, if you are a wellpreneur, you have to be well. And part of being well is being financially well. So, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s, think about saving 15% for retirement, for your financial future as a goal. I know people hate the R word. They hate the retirement word. So, you know, you could call it financial freedom or economic independence. And that's all. That's when your, your income from your investments can replace your earned income. So you can stop working if you want to. So I was just going to get into some account types, but maybe that's too much for this conversation. But as a business owner, ask your tax planner what kind of accounts you should be saving in because you have the opportunity to save in a tax-advantaged way. And that literally is taking money away from the government and giving it back to yourself. And that's great. That's a great thing to do. So, you know, and if you're in your if you're in your 40s or find yourself starting over financially, you maybe want to check in with a financial advisor, or maybe just schedule a consultation to figure out, "Hey, how much should I be saving?" cuz maybe 15% isn't enough for you, but that's a good place to start thinking from. I think the the tricky part is knowing it's like that balance when you're just starting out and you're getting in the start and you're in the startup phase, which you said could, you know, like we know could go a couple of years before you really get traction. It's like 
how do you keep yourself from going crazy? Basically, <laughs> that's money. Like, oh, you know, maybe you're not paying yourself very much, but you're like really focused on this. Like, I don't know. Do you have any mindset shifts or like, how do you approach that? I really like to create things as a game. So you are where you are and you can either be significant about it or not be significant about it. And oftentimes, if you get really heavy about it, if you start to panic about it or really are in this, if you're living in a context called I, it should be different than it is, that really doesn't help. And so if you're just starting out in business, hey, you know, have some fun with it. You get to release yourself from the obligation to save money for a little bit, maybe a couple months, maybe a couple years, but just don't mess with yourself about it. You know, I spent the last six weeks buying a house and moving and there were a number of things in my business and personal life that weren't going to get done. And I said, you know what? How awesome. I get to take a vacation from doing those things. Let's just enjoy it. <laughs> and it's kind of it's it. kind of the yeah. same thing. But in the same way, you know, in a basketball game, you're dribbling around the court, but your goal is to get the ball through the hoop. Okay. So when you're starting out in your business, you're dribbling the ball around the court, but your goal is to start paying yourself more. I mean, I have to admit, you know, I was kind of lost in my own business numbers last year. I put myself on payroll, so I have a salary. And then at the end of the year, I realized I hadn't really thought about my savings. And so one day towards, you know, it was at the end of December, I said, oh, well, let me see how much money I have in my business bank account. And, you know, I had enough to max out an account called a solo 401k. So I put $18,000 into a solo 401k. And I, I was really proud of myself for doing that. I thought, oh, okay, great. I'm, I didn't think about it all year, but as a business owner, it doesn't matter. You can do it all at one time. <laughs> so that now I have a consistent amount going into that account. So I'll do it, you know, spread out equally over 12 months. But that's just an example of like, you know, the year before that, I didn't do that. And my business is growing. You know, I've been in business for, for three years. I've been doing what I do for 16 or 17 years. But my business is new-ish. And so I was able to put on that thinking cap called, oh, yeah, I got to pay myself more this year and was able to do that. Mm -hmm. So we just need to like take a deep breath, cut ourselves some slack and just get our mindset a lot more positive, which I'm loving talking to you. It's like positive and lighthearted and playful, even though we're talking about money, which tends to be like so heavy. And <laughs> so I, feel like, I feel like we could be talking... I mean, we've just like not even scratched the surface of the money conversation and we're pretty much like coming to the end of our <laughs> so, I, Can you talk a little bit about your podcast? Because I have a feeling a lot of people out there listening want to go further. And I think your podcast is the place to do that. Thanks so much. Yeah. So I created Profit Boss Radio as, you know, your wealth mastermind until you have your own wealth mastermind. If you are interested in improving yourself and what you know about money, I do three kinds of episodes. So I'll do solo episodes where I either answer listener questions or I talk about a particular topic. For example, I interviewed a hedge fund manager. Actually, my and we talked about what is a hedge fund? It's like this phrase that people use. It seems mysterious and out of reach. And we, I really kind of make things real for people and use plain language. I also interview experts. Some are experts on various topics about money, but some are business. Some are people who have had tremendous financial success or even a tremendous financial failure. And I get them to come on and talk about that. 
And I interview what I call everyday heroines. So people who often remain anonymous, but want to tell their own financial story or financial journey and just be really real. I get them to give real numbers. And so people can learn from someone you might find yourself standing shoulder to shoulder with. And I say it's a judgment-free zone. So you'll never catch any judgment or significance from me about money, no matter where you are. I promise you, I've either been there myself or know women who have, and it's all good. (laughs) So you can find Profit Boss Radio in your podcast player, wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, I'd love it if you have time in your If you have time and and interest, check it out. Awesome. Oh, Hillary, thanks so much for being here today. I'll link out all of this up in our show notes. And also we've got a Facebook community where there's over 2000 wellpreneurs in there and I'll share the episodes in there too so they can get right to your podcast. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. As always, you can get all of the links in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you're on Facebook, which who isn't, then come over and join us in the Wellpreneur community group. There's over 2,000 Wellpreneurs in there who listen to the podcast and friends of people that listen to the podcast. And it's a promo-free zone where we're all helping each other to build our wellness businesses online. So just go onto Facebook type Wellpreneur community and join our group. I'd love to see you there. Okay. Have a fantastic week and I'll see you back here next week with the next episode. 